Good morning. Good morning, guys. Come on up. Good job. Nice to see all you this morning. Isn't it great to have the sunshine today? Yeah, even though it's cold, there's something about having the sunshine that makes it that makes it a little bit better. And if there's people on the steps, they can come up on the side too so they can see better. So anyway, um, I don't know if you can see, but I've, I've got a little friend with me today. This is not Coco, by the way. I know a lot of you know that I have Coco who comes with me, but no, this isn't Coco at all. Um, does anybody know what this is? What kind of an animal is this? If you know, you go ahead. Can you say? What do you think? Anybody? What do you think? What kind of an animal is it? You got it first guess. A porcupine. That's right. This is a porcupine. And his name, do you know what his name is? Slowpoke. <laughs> yeah. You guys got that one. That's good. Slowpoke. Um, how does a porcupine defend itself? Go ahead. Yeah, so if it starts to get attacked by um, maybe a dog or a coyote or something like that, what does it do? It, it kind of... Yeah, he puts up his quills and kind of backs up into the, into the attacker. And the porcupine doesn't shoot quills, but they come out very easily if something tries to bite it. And so then a dog or a coyote, if it tries to bite the porcupine, it's going to get quills all in, um, all in its mouth. And those hurt. And so guess what? The, uh, the attacker runs away, and the porcupine is okay. So you can see that this one's got some quills. Okay. Anybody want to pet my porcupine? Really? You know what? You know why you can pet it? Because it's not a real porcupine, is it? It's a puppet. Look at that. It's nice and soft. And those, those, those things that look like quills, they're just uh, different color hairs, right? Different color fur. Yeah. So Slowpoke, we're going to set Slowpoke down over here for now. All right? But I want to talk about another critter, kind of like, um, like a porcupine, except I didn't have a puppet of one. Have you ever heard of an opossum? Have you ever heard of an opossum? What's that? You saw an opossum on a commercial? What was it a, a commercial for? Do you remember? The kids wanted a dog, but the, but the parents bought them an opossum? I haven't, I haven't seen that commercial. Wow. I got to watch for that one. Well, a porcupine uses its quills to defend itself. How does an opossum defend itself if something's going to attack it? How does an opossum do that? He rolls up in a little ball, and then what does he do? What does he do? Go ahead. Just say it. He plays dead. So imagine if this were now an opossum instead of a porcupine. If something was going to attack it, he would just kind of go, Bleh. and there he'd be. Now, how does that protect him? Doesn't that make him vulnerable? Can't the, can't the critter just, just get him now? Why does, that, why does that protect him? What do you think? Oh, good, yeah, maybe the, the, the dog or the coyote or whatever it might be, fox, maybe it thinks, oh, it must be sick since it died, and so I'm going to leave it alone. And so it doesn't bother it. So the opossum plays dead, and the attacker goes away. And that's how, that's how God makes 
these critters so that they can defend themselves. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? All right? I want you to come on just a very tiny, short little field trip with me, okay? I'm going to have you guys go back down the steps, and then I want you to gather around on all sides of the uh, baptismal font here. All right? So just kind of spread out all over here. So, as you know, what, what often happens here? What do we do? Babies get baptized, that's right. And it's not just babies, it could be adults, it could be children like your age, whoever it is. Um, When they come to know Jesus, um, then baptism is one of the first things that that God invites somebody to do when when they come to faith. So, we know that baptism, um, there's that cover that goes on here, then we have a metal bowl in here, and guess what, we get some water, and then what do we do when we have the person here? We just take some water and we put it on their head and we say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Okay? Today we remember that Jesus got baptized. Okay? Our gospel lesson told us that Jesus got baptized. But he didn't get baptized as a baby like many of us maybe were. Do you know how old he was when he got baptized? We figure he was about 30 years old. Okay? So infant baptism hadn't been initiated yet. In fact, it was Jesus who ultimately was the one to say, hey, now I want you to go and baptize people. But Jesus was about 30, and he came to the Jordan River. It wasn't a font like this. It was a river, and and John the Baptist probably had him go under the water, and he was baptized. Now, he didn't get baptized because he needed to be forgiven. But he became baptized so that he could take our place. There was another Bible reading we had this morning, and it talked about that somehow with baptism, someone dies. Did you hear that? Does somebody die when they get baptized? No. No, that would be awful, wouldn't it? That would be terrible. No, this is usually a wonderful, happy experience. And so to think about that somebody dies when they get baptized, that's awful. Except, except, St. Paul, when he talks to us, he tells us that each one of us who've been baptized, we've died. Yeah, we've died. But not physically. By God's power and the Holy Spirit, The old person in us, sometimes the Bible talks like that, the old person in us gets drowned and dies so that a new person, the new person that loves Jesus and wants to serve God and love their neighbor, rises again. Just like Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on Easter, everyone who's baptized joins him in being in his death and his burial and his resurrection. So now, you and I get to experience the new life of baptism every day. So the next time you see somebody get baptized, just remember that in some way, although we don't all completely understand it, that, that somebody's actually, quote, being joined with Jesus in his death and burial so that they can rise to live a new life. Thank you so much for coming up here, boys and girls, and I'm going to invite you to go back to your spots, okay? Thank you so much.
And boys and girls, as you go back, I want you to think about how someone like you and me might be able to use the fact that we're that we die in the same way that the opossum uses it to defend itself. Now, that went over their heads, right? It went over my head too. Except that's precisely what the Bible teaches us. First of all, the concept of being dead. Paul uses this word in that in that section of Romans, 11 verses, some 14 times. Dead, death, uh, burial, crucifixion, and so forth. Now, he is not doing that because he's insensitive to the fact that there may be people who are actually dealing with physical death, illness, cancer, problems. Or maybe, like some of you, who may have just had to say goodbye to a loved one in death. Only the Lord knows truly what you are experiencing and, and what, um, what grief you have. Paul is not talking in this sense to be insensitive or to be flippant about death in some way. No, he's making a different point when he talks so much about death. Because here he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about another kind of death. And his point is this, that when a person dies, they are set free. Think about it. That might not be the first thing you think about when a, when a person dies. But have you ever heard of somebody going to great lengths to fake their death? It's happened. People have come up with all kinds of elaborate schemes and deceptions in order to make it look like they have died in order that they can begin a, a new life someplace else. Maybe they are trying to get free from debts that they have. Or maybe from the law or obligations that they have. Maybe from some type of punishment that they deserve. Who knows? There's all kinds of reasons why someone would want others to think that they are dead so that they can live a new life. When we talk here and Paul talks about this, he talks about the fact that death does set a person free. A person free from all of those things. And, and even something like slavery, where there is a master who says, you must do this or you can't do that. When someone dies, they don't have to listen anymore, do they? Ultimately, what Paul says is, death sets a person free from that three-letter word. And I've got the blanks there in your sermon outline. Just three letters long. It's got I in the middle and an S on an N on the, other, on the sides. Can you put that together? Death sets us free from sin. And sin loves nothing better than to be our master. Sin wants to convince us and control us and to lead us away from God down this path or that path. Sin wants to burden us with guilt. It wants to make us afraid and fearful of God. Sin would like nothing better than to drive a permanent wedge between God and us so that we think all is lost. There is no hope. But in baptism, Paul says, you and I, 
have died to sin. Therefore, we are set free from the slavery that had controlled us. How does that happen? Well, like we just said with the children, through baptism. Did you ever read these words and and take them seriously? Did you ever read these words and wonder and say, how how could that be? Or do we simply pass them by and say, oh, it must be another just kind of symbolic thing. And hey, that's a great reminder and so forth. But there's nothing symbolic here. There is some type of actual death, burial, and resurrection that takes place when we are baptized. Some refer to it as a mystical union. There's a lot more going on there than just putting water on and and saying the words in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit descends just like it did on Jesus, but into the heart of that person. And somehow we are united with Jesus in what he went through, through his crucifixion, his, his death, his burial. We've died to sin so that we can, as St. Paul puts it, walk in newness of life. So, what does that mean? Believe it or not, we're already at part three of our outline, in case you were following along. What does this life of walking in newness of life mean? Well, first of all, it means that we will cling to God's promises. If you can think of a stronger word there, go ahead, use it. Hold on to, hold fast to, trust completely, whatever it is. But cling to God's promises. And why do we need to do that? Well, here's why. In Isaiah, 40, in Isaiah 43, we heard those powerful words where God speaks to his people and says, Fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. That's exactly what baptism does. God calls us by name, he puts his name upon us, we belong to him, we don't need to be afraid, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and our sins are forgiven. However, we still live in a fallen world. If you look at that Isaiah 43 passage, when you get a chance, the very next verse says this, I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. Therefore, you will never experience any of the deep waters of life, and you will never be touched by any kind of fire, problem, trial, or tribulation. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. I'm sorry. Rather, it says, when you pass through the waters, and when you have to go across the rivers... The analogy is used, and sometimes we think like that too, don't we? Like we feel like it's getting deeper and deeper. Our problems are just building up and kind of coming up to us. And and sometimes we say we can hardly keep our head above water, can't we? Where it just seems like it's one thing after another, and and we're fearful that another wave is going to come across and, and drown us. Or that as we go through life, the currents of the river are going to just sweep us away. But God says, even though these things happen, You are not immune from the problems and the the deep waters of life. But, he says, I'm with you. I am not going to let those waters 
take you away from me. And as far as the fire goes, we talk like that too, don't we? Like we talk about how we go from the frying pan into the fire, like it's getting hotter and hotter and these problems and and temptations and trials and, and one thing after another, and we feel like, can we stand it anymore? But the Lord says, when you go through that fire, I will not let the flames consume you. You may have to feel them. You will experience those trials. But I am not going to let those flames or that water take you away from me. Because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to cling to those promises, especially in those times where it seems just the opposite. When it seems like God is not there to save us. When it seems like those waters are going to go too high or the flames get too hot. That's when we need to come back again and again and say, Lord, you promised this. And I am clinging to your word of promise. But our walking in newness of life also has another aspect to it. And that is that we live a life of repentance. When John the Baptist preached in the desert in the Jordan, by the Jordan River, you remember all the people came out to him. And surprisingly, they didn't come out to him because he was saying, Hey, smile, God loves you. Everything's great. You know, have a positive attitude. Everything's just wonderful. God loves you just like you are. No. No, people were coming out because he was telling it like it was. They knew. They could see through the, the, the lies. They could see through all of the, the platitudes that, that this world wants to give us. John was telling it like it is. He says, you sinners, you've got to repent. He says, the axe is already laid at the base of the tree. It's ready to cut down every tree that doesn't produce good works. He was preaching fire and brimstone. And yet the people came. Now why is that? If we've been created new in baptism, if in fact, as it says, that that when we died to sin, there was a part of us that died to sin, I think Luther would call it the old Adam, the old self, Paul says. When that person died, then a new person arose. The new person that does live in you and me. The one that wants to do God's will. The one that wants to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbors as ourselves. However, we still have the sinful nature that clings to us. We still have the devil, the world, and our sinful self, as Luther puts it, still attacking us on all sides still trying to lead us away. And that is why the life of walking in newness of life involves daily repentance and contrition. We need to come back and be reminded of our baptism to say, wait a minute, that's not me following the devil's commands, following sin's instructions. No, Lord, forgive me. And then that brings us to the final point, which I think is really the most important point of this whole section, because it's a matter of faith. Do you know how a person who walks in newness of life lives? We live by faith. Paul uses the word consider. 
I would say believe or trust or be convinced. But our last line of our outline, we are told that we should consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. You see, if we truly believe that we have died to sin, then guess what? Sin can't do anything to us. Sin can't make us obey it. Like an opossum, if we play dead, so to speak, then the devil can't do anything with us and has to retreat. So the next time that temptation comes knocking or Satan starts to get in your head or in your mind or your thoughts or in your lives, you can simply say, Satan, sin, I've died to you. You have no power over me. Leave me alone. You have no control. The new person has arisen in me and I want to live for the Lord. That's what it means to live by faith. And that's what it means to walk in newness of life and to be a baptized child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.